Welcome to a new conversation with Hani and Peretz. I am sitting here in uh, this Jerusalem Yushalayim apartment uh, in a dining room with the wall filled with sperm. Uh, the window outside is the view of the hills of Yushalayim. And across from me is sitting Rabbi Beryl Gershenfeld. Rabbi Beryl Gershenfeld is the founder of Machon Shlomo and Machon Yaakov, two very well-known yeshivot in Yushalayim in Harnov. But mostly he is known as the founder of Maor. Um, Maor is present at Brandeis and at present at many other major universities. And Maor engages with students to uh, bring them close to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism, through Torah study and through uh, different types of programming. And um, it's an honor to be sitting here across Rabbi Gershenfeld and, and speaking about engaging with students. Uh, you know, the Chabad, the Maor, are two major organizations uh, engaging with college students today. Often the assumption is that there is a conflict between major organizations on college campuses, or while in fact uh, there's so much in common that sitting across each other and speaking is of such value. So Rabbi Gershald, if you can um, tell us about you know, the founding of Ma'or um, and its uh, ob objective, and, and please. Great, thank you very much, uh, Peretz, to, uh, for inviting me for a dialogue. As you say, there's so much we share. There's so many common goals and aims we're working for to try and help the Jewish community and to engage in clear and real dialogue. That's, we try and do it with students. We should do it with our colleagues, the rabbis. We should do it with the entire Jewish community. Uh, Moor um, began around the year 2005, 2005. Um, Myself, I personally uh, am a Balchuva. I grew up in Philadelphia, two wonderful parents, both very proud Jews. Without a long discussion of my development, I started asking big questions when I was 14 or 15 and continued asking those questions until my present age in the 60s. Um, I looked around. I've very happily engaged as a Rosh Yeshiva of two yeshivas here in Yerushalayim. I think that's really my natural personality. Um, but in the year 2004, 2005, I looked around and I felt that there was a dearth of Jewish literacy potential and possibilities on college campuses in the United States. And I felt that one of the most momentous decisions a Jew is going to make in his life is how is he going to integrate, how is he going to relate, how is he going to preserve his Judaism, and that that can't be done without literacy. It's got to be done knowing what the Jewish message is, understanding Jewish ideals, understanding them in a sophisticated way, understanding them in a relevant way, understanding them in a passionate way, and just like there's a Jeffersonian free market of ideas on university. Most, uh, many students, their last Jewish education is bar mitzvah, in which they memorized and repeated a portion of the Torah they did not understand or did not relate to. And that was their last vision of Judaism, memorizing and acting out rituals they did not understand and did not relate to them. That's a terrible shame for the world, for Judaism, for that person. 
the Jewish message and the need for ethics, the needs for morality, the needs for philosophy are so great in 21st century America where there is a lack of idealism, there is a lack of ethics, there is a lack of vision. I felt that we had to develop a program that would face and direct itself to provide great, engaging Jewish education literacy to teach students uh, what Judaism meant so they can make a decision to relate, not to relate, to engage, not to engage with Judaism, but it should be a decision that comes from an informed practice. How do you see that different than what Chabad was doing on college campuses? Chabad, we all respect and appreciate the mysterious nefesh and the vision of caring about the whole Jewish community. Um, I, I think the vision is different in that I, I would say that at least in two ways. If you're going to talk about the classic model of a Chabad, it's going to be a Chabad house. It provides Jewish engagement through Shabbos, through Jewish rituals, through tefillin, through arbaminim, through the four species on Sukkot. It involves engagement through the mitzvahs and through experiential involvement. I felt personally myself from my experience back to Judaism and for many students the experiential uh, is off-putting it does not make one feel comfortable that the Torah vision that Moor has is let's first talk about literacy let's first talk about what Judaism's ideas are what's the message of Judaism why is it important to keep Shabbos why is a Jew supposed to make Kiddush what's the idea of the Ten Commandments why are the Ten Commandments important one of the main programs of Maor is uh, the Maimonides program, uh, which is a 10-week uh, program of learning for about an hour and a half, a significant time, significant commitment that the students make to, to learn, and then also to do a, a field trip, uh, to visit a, a community. One of the innovative elements that the Maimonides program introduced was the idea of providing students with a stipend uh, to engage in the studying, and that was very successful. And a lot of students became engaged with it. It became so successful, I'd say that uh, Chabad mimicked that model with the Sinus Scholars uh, program, which is also similar. It's a also multi-week, also eight to ten-week program where there is classes uh, over an hour and a half, and then there is a, and there's a field trip, and there's also a stipend being paid. I take issue with that approach, both uh, in, in the Maor model and in the Chabad Sinus Scholar model, is the idea of paying students to come and study Torah. I find to be three faults in that model. Uh, the first fault is that it infantiles st students. It basically gives them and gives them and gives them. And while when it started in 2000, you know, 1999, or in the mid-2000s, students were of one type of personality, one personality type. Over the past seven to 10 years, more seven years, and the students have evolved and they have become more infantile, not because of or paying them or birthright giving them free trips, but just the change, in, the, the change in technology, their engagement with the world, with themselves, with peers, have really infantile them. And this, paying them to study, contributes to that. Give them, giving them the free things contributes to that. The second point is that it cheapens the value of the Torah. Uh, you know, when you pay for something, it shows that there's a value for people. Students pay for the college education, and they pay a lot of money for that. And when you're telling them, come study th these ideas, 
and you don't have to pay. Actually, we're going to pay you. They're like, eh? that means it's not that value. Well, and the sec and the third thing is, it weakens the connection. Uh, when you, you know, when you invest in something, when you sacrifice with something, as, as you well know, the Mishnah says, you know, uh, when you s give of yourself for something, it creates a connection to it. When you don't give of yourself to something, when you're given something, the value, the connection to it drops as well. And our goal is obviously to create a connection, to create a, a value, and to create, uh, to, to mature the, the young individual, to, be, to, to allow them to have a more mature interaction with it. So these are my thoughts, and you know, I, I, as you can tell, I've been thinking about it for a while, so <laughs> I've gone on a bit. So I'd like to hear your thoughts, and because in a certain sense, you are the innovator and the originator, and I, I'd say on a large scale, uh, on college campuses to the effect that, you know, imitation is the more greatest form of flattery. It's, it's, it, others have taken this model as well. Great, and, and uh, for sure, Rabbi Peretz, I 100% understand where you're coming from. Um, I understand the purity and the devotion of a program that was done just for altruistic reasons, and in fact, my father-in-law, Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg, the founder of Or Sameach, um, would explicitly support all three of the points that you made and would agree with them. Uh, my response is a very strong, based in Jewish tradition response. And I feel that, yes, it could be the best and the brightest will go with Reperitz and do things for altruistic and idealistic reasons, but we're obligated to deal with reality and relate to reality. So let me just take three examples and then we'll move up to present day. If I walked up right now and I said, uh, if I can remember your three, if I walked up to the local rabbi of the young Israel of, of Waltham, if such a place exists, or of Boston, and I said, Rabbi, I, I want you to know something. I, I really, you are infantile. You lack backbone. You don't have real kiruv. You haven't sacrificed anything. How in the world can you take your salary from young Israel? Haven't you seen that the Rambam writes that anybody who makes Torah, kardam lachborbo, that you make a Torah, a um, pitchfork with which you're going to earn your money, that that weakens and demeans the greatness of Torah. Obviously, the Rambam writes it, it's brought in the Shulchan Aruch. But Klai Yisrael understood that 700 years ago, even great rabbis weren't great enough to work and to provide service to the community as rabbis. And therefore, we had to become practical and say, okay, yes, it'll, you'll be more of a taker, you'll be more infantile, you're saying, less mature. And yes, you won't have the korban, the sacrifice, and yes, you'll lack the purity of motivation, but we need rabbis who can focus on serving the community and learning to serve the community. And if we ask too much from the broad public, even rabbis, not just students, first year and second year in university, 19, 20-year-old students, but from rabbis, it's too much for them. And there's a psaac that was made that I think 98% of the Jewish nation accepts that rabbis accept their salary, and no one would think that now it's, oh, Rabbi Peretz's three, uh, three visions are all applied to them, we, we shouldn't let them do that. 
I think we all would agree that a rabbi who does not accept salary and does not uh, is special and unique. And you know, I don't like to say in public, but I take absolutely taken no penny from or for the last 15 years. It's all donated and it's altruistic, and we try to do it with lishma, with with proper intention. But we can't demand that from everybody, and we go on. Second, the existence of a kolel, people learning in after marriage. Again, a person should sacrifice, and he should not take money stipends from a kolel. Reb Moshe Feinstein, the ultimate postdoc of the 20th century, writes that anybody who does not take money from kolel, if he wants to become big in Torah, uh, is listening to the advice of the evil inclination so he can't grow big. We're not big enough. We have to take that money. Again, we're, we're being realistic. The th third example, I think, would be that in the, the world that we exist in today, um, again, from my Masora, the Mir Yeshiva and Slobodka started a campaign in 1920s that anybody who finished Shas within that year would get $50. $50 was a huge sum of money at that time. And the people from Kelm came up to the people at the Mir and they said, they came with Reb Peretz's, what are you guys doing? $50 to learn Shas? You should learn Shas for the Abed. This has become the norm. And all of a sudden, you were correct, when we started with people not engaged with Torah, people started all of a sudden like, oh, I want more altruism. I want more self-sacrifice. I said, well, wait a second. The whole Jewish nation is built up on recognizing, understanding the reality of human beings. We have a Psach. The Gemara in Psachim says very clearly, A person should involve himself always in engaging in a way that involves all of his desires and needs so eventually he can come to the higher level of complete altruism. I think that's what Or is trying to do. I think that's what we're trying to engage a person in. And from this process, a person, through the knowledge, becomes more mature, becomes less entitled, becomes more idealistic, um, puts more flesh in the game. Would you recognize that there is a compromise over here in the sense that you're compromising uh, the value of Torah, the compromising the connection to Torah, you're compromising the uh, negative impact that it will have by weakening the connection and the value and on their character by connecting Torah study to payment. You are compromising that. Don't want to use the word compromising. I'm using the word <laughs> Jewish halach. In other words, if you walk up and if you're willing to walk uh, with to every rabbi and say, you're compromising by taking a salary. You're compromising by... Um, by being in kolel. Uh, no, this is the psak. We have a halacha. La'olam yasok adam b'torah mitzvah metok shalolishma That's halacha. Jewish idealism is engage your, all your needs so you can be totally devoted and really think deeply about it. 30 hours is a long time. Just like Reb Moshe Feinstein said, it's the advice of the evil inclination not to take money in kolel because you want to be like the Rambam. It's the advice of the evil inclination to not accept Maimonides stipends and just learn a couple of hours on the side. But I'm not willing to say a compromise. Yeah. It's Jewish Torah, it's okay. Jewish Torah. That's right. Well, there is, I, I would say, the, the example you're giving of the rabbi or of the person sitting in Kolel, in that case, and going, going to the Rambam's shock that you shouldn't you know, use uh, money, uh, the way that psak has been viewed 
is that the rabbi and the, the kol man, this is their, they need to feed their family. And this is not a kardom lachdom, but it's schar batala. Um, it, it's, they, they, instead of getting paid for doing something else, they're getting paid to do this so that they can feed their family. So both that psak is, you know, it's schar batala. And secondly, in, in those instances, they're going to starve. Their families are going to starve if they're not paid. And then they can't do their job. In the case of the student, they're not going to starve. Their families are not going to starve if they don't get paid. And it's not schar batala because they're, they're not working. So the, the comparison is not, I find most students to be, not have that much money. I think it's schar batala. Mm. And I think that the Rambam is clear that he doesn't look at his schar batala. He looks at it as being a taker at all is a chilol Hashem, a profanation of God's name, so that you know, he might see it as a compromise, and the halachic has gone not like the Rambam to see that it's as the best way to do it, that we're looking at a person should always be occupied in Torah, even not for the lishma, not for yes. the most altruistic purposes, to come to lishma, and that's what I think is an, um, a, a normative Jewish approach right now. We, we both presented our, our views on, on, the, on, the, on the matter. I think we can move on <laughs> on this topic. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to now speak to the idea of the model of yeah, uh, the model of, of Kiruv of, of Maor's model in Kiruv, in the sense that um, you engage students with the with the learning, but there's another element to it is where you engage them with a Torah observant community, uh, expose them to people who are live the t- full Torah life, live in a in a Torah world and bring in a a, a completely secular students and expose them to that with the hopes that it will impress them and they will see that this is something that they can uh, adapt at a point in their lives. What I've heard from some students' type of uh, feedback from their experiences, when they enter that world, it sometimes functions as a a put-off because it's so foreign to what they know, what, how they how they experience, it clashes with their uh, with their understanding of the world and how they see things, and this clash sometimes causes a turnoff where they say, "No, oh whoa, this is, these people are," and, and and these people are not only these people see me. I think that's more important. Not not judging them; they're beautiful people, but they view me as a an person void of value, void of, of, of meaning, because I'm not like them. And it functions as a, as, as a put-off. Um, are you familiar with what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So I, I think that in most cases, my experience, and I'm sure, uh, Ralph, uh, I'm sure it's the same experience you have, is that I'm not sure, let's make sure that I make this really conservative, that 90% of the people will write on the Maimonides application that the best part of the Maimonides program was going to a Jewish Shabbos experience or to a, um, a Jewish wedding. <coughs> that these are the most powerful experiences they have, but they're powerful. And when people are powerful, sometimes it can dislodge, make people awkward, 10% of the people. Um, you know, I, I kind of live, I'm sure you live by the same, you know, uh, quote, if you don't want to be criticized, do nothing, be nothing, mean nothing, then you won't be criticized. So if we fail with 10% of the students, I feel very sad. I really think it's about 1%, perhaps, that there's failure. And if that's the case, then we have to, as 
as Jews, be more engaging, more loving, more supporting of people when they come to us. And we have to set the students coming up with a better framework that I, um, I spent time studying at Sophia University in Tokyo. A lot of things that happened over there were very off-putting. Right? Japanese society was very unusual. But I understood it was a learning experience. I understood it was a growing experience. And the dialogue, like you talked about at the opening of the show, that dialogue is important. So one of the problems perhaps we have in 21st century is that people are too quick to to criticize, to defame, rather than engage and have a dialogue and discussion. The hope is that after having had many Maimonides classes and having engaged with a caring rabbi, that we've minimized that to a small area and the people understand that there's a Seret Dibro, there's a conversation, there's a dialogue going on. People love them and care for them. That's why we're out in college campuses. That's why you, with Chabad, are out in the college campuses. That we are out in college campuses. We care for them, we love them, we want to help them grow. And perhaps we have to up our love and appreciation for the students. And we have to help them frame the fact that there's a dialogue supposed to go on and that no one ever said that growing is easy. And no one ever sure. said that challenging um, essential ideas is easy. But hopefully we all see that it's valuable and growing. And therefore, I think that the Shabbos experiential parts of the program are extremely powerful and a huge overwhelming majority make the numbers who don't enjoy ins insignificant. And, but that said, be said, we have to work in our game. We should bring people with mindsets of dialogue better and we should bring our hosts more to love and not be judgmental. Right. It's a good point you make. I like, uh, you know, if you don't want to be criticized, do nothing, say nothing. Um, every, en every engagement of substance runs the risk of a certain friction creating and not a certain growth, uh, growth creating from that. And, and, and that's a risk that you and I and any of your educator and our, especially educators like us who are, let's be frank, we're here to disrupt. We're here to, we're here to change something. To, 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 make, to make a, tr a change in, in, in the Jewish world and in the individual lives of, of college students in a way where they create a deeper connection to, their, to themselves, to their Yiddishkeit, to the, to, to, and, and that you have a deeper connection to your, to your Jewishness through Judaism, and that is Torah and mitzvahs. And that creates, that requires tension, and, and, and tension is the space where growth occurs. If there is no tension, there's nothing going on. It's 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 waste. It's um, it's death. Life is tension. Life life is growth, and growth uh, happens that way. <coughs> what I would like to see, this is sort of a dream of mine, is just like you and I are having this conversation here between Chabad and Maor. Um, I like to see this on a, on a grander scale, so that the students who are for them, it's all the same in a certain sense. It's both people who, who, who are passionate about Yiddishkeit and are willing to give of, of themselves of Yiddishkeit to see that, that there's more of a, of a dialogue, more of a conversation, more of a connection. Uh, it, it, it will do such good for Kalal Yisrael and for the students if we could scale what is going on here across this table. Uh, we agree. It was a pleasure meeting you. A pleasure dialoguing with you, be real with you. In every 
Moor educator's contract that says that one of his obligations to, is to establish a win-win relationship with all other Jewish organizations on campus. I know in ideals that's easy to say. It could be in de facto we don't do as good a job as we should, but the ideal is definitely there, mm. that everybody who's a more rabbi, more woman educator knows that the vision is that there has to be dialogue and engagement with other colleagues who are working for the Jewish cause on campus, and therefore I wrote in the contract in the very beginning, 2005, the first contract I wrote, we have to have a win-win relationship with other people on college campuses. Thank you for listening. To receive notifications of our latest podcasts, please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app like Apple Podcasts or Google Play. We welcome your feedback and thoughts on our website, anewconvo.com, that is A-N-E-W-C-O-N-V-O.com, and on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash anewconvo. Have a great day.